You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. John 9, verses 1 through 7, we'll read this together. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, this is Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with his saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Let's pray. Father, we come under your word today. It is the truth that is relevant and good for our lives. Uh, You are not a distant God, but you are near, and you are near through your word that we know exactly who you are and what you are like. And so, Lord, will you use your word to accomplish your purposes today, whether it's to produce conviction or gladness or joy. We pray that you would cause in us what is necessary for us to live lives on purpose in full relationship with you. And Jesus, we love you and we pray these things in your beautiful name, amen. So here in this encounter in John, Jesus and his disciples see a man that is blind from birth. And in this moment, we experience two people, two people with two fundamentally different views and postures towards people and the world. Now, just to give you some context, Jesus is in a bit of trouble in John 9. He is sort of fleeing from a group of people called the Pharisees who are trying to stone him because of what he had taught in the temple just moments prior to this. He has offended great a great number of leaders on this day. I'm not sure why he offended them. I don't know why they're offensive. All he said was, I am greater than Moses, right? And I don't know if that's offensive. I don't know if it's offensive to make yourself seem a little bit uh, more important and consequential than the most important person in one's religion, Uh, but that's why they're upset. Jesus and, and his disciples are in a bit of trouble here. And on the way out of the city escaping, Jesus sees this as a great opportunity to stop. He stops and has compassion on a man who he passes by. I'm sure his disciples are loving every moment of this. They're fleeing for their lives, and all of a sudden Jesus says, oh, here's a good opportunity for me to show compassion on people. Jesus, could we just wait until we get, no, we're gonna do it now. And so they're in this scene, and this man is blind from birth, and it brings this question from these people, from the disciples. They ask, Rabbi, this term of endearment, teacher, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And so this reflects the the preeminent thought and posture of that day towards the struggles of life. 
The Israelites linked physical suffering and hardship and calamities to the result of sin. Now, not the result of sins as maybe we have known it in that because of our choice to follow after our own selves, to choose ourselves over God, all of the cosmos and creation is broken. Everything on this world is harder. Pain and consequences exist. Everything, us in creation, is in decay. They aren't linking this person's sin to this general sense in which all of the world is fractured and broken, and we are too. They are linking it to this individual and saying it is the result of his sin. It's a consequence of their, his sin, or past sin, or even a future sin. Now, in this day, there's this very disturbing, mystical element to the ancient Hebrew faith that finds itself in the world today. They believed in the pre-existence of souls, that there were souls that were just floating around and they would be then recycled into human bodies to be reincarnated into another person. And so they actually believed that those souls could be weighted with sin still, and then when they are reincarnated into a person, the consequences of that person's past life would then be transferred onto the new person. And so this man could be born blind, not for anything that he did, for something somebody else did. But they also believed that you could literally sin in the womb. That there was a way that you could sin in the womb before you were born that could create this sort of consequence. So maybe he was breech. I don't know. Maybe that's the, why he was born blind that way. But they have these interesting beliefs that say that all of human suffering is linked to a person's physical sin, their literal sin. And so it is this belief that permeates their postures and their attitudes and how they receive the world. The sight of somebody who's in suffering doesn't elicit compassion or grace or mercy but it elicits a questioning on what it is that this person did to deserve this kind of right and good punishment in their life. Yet, our Savior, Christ the Lord, receives this man born blind from birth with a very different approach and through a very different posture. Have you ever in your life encountered a situation where you left bewildered, where two people could experience the same event and have two completely different experiences and interactions. Two people can engage in the same conversation, yet leave hearing something different. Two students can sit in a classroom and hear the same instruction from the same instructor and arrive at two very different conclusions. Two citizens can live in the same country, in the same state, in the same city, on the same street, yet have two entirely different interpretations of the health and well-being of their community. We can share a meal together, like we just did, and leave with two different experiences from that meal. We can even recognize and worship the same God, yet there will be many people in here today that even will hear my teaching and leave with two interpretations or more of what I just said. Two people can say, I love you, and have 
two different understandings of what that means. There is in the scientific world uh, a, two elements that they talk about that are shaping in our lives. One is called nurture and one is called nature. Nature versus nurture. Maybe you've heard this in your textbooks before. Every one of us is made different. Every one of us has different leanings. Every one of us has different personalities. That's the nature part of you. We are created differently. No one better than the other, just different. Some of you were created in a way that you like mustard and pickles. You lack the ability to realize how disgusting those things are. And it is my appreciation for the differences in people that I don't associate you with the same disgust. We are just born in different ways. We have different things about us that are in our genes, all sorts of things that make us who we are. Now, nature or nurture contends that there are ways in which we are raised, environments that we live in that influence how we see and interact with the world. For instance, I have received much grief in my life over the fact that I am a Notre Dame football fan and an Indiana basketball fan. And I get told every year, you need to pick a school, pick a team. But here's what I say to them. When I grew up, the only teams that were on TV was Indiana basketball and Notre Dame football. You can't blame me for childhood allegiances. That's just what I was brought up into. It is our nurture, whether we like it or not, causes us to act like our parents in some ways when we get older. It is our nurture that also influences our rebellion. Now, there are many of you that have certain beliefs and ways about you because that's what your family does. But there are also many of you because we are rebels by nature. We are rebels by nature, have certain ways and beliefs because you have rejected them. You want to disassociate yourself with your family and you reject their ideologies and you often take up those that are counter to it. And so what do we do with all of this? All of our nature and nurture that by and large shapes how we see and receive the world. Well, we are led in this world to believe that we are individuals all on a journey where through our nature and our nurture, we are to blaze our own path per se, to create our own segments of reality, to create our own niche in the world, to live self-determined lives that are honest to our convictions and to our beliefs, to follow our hearts and to be true to ourselves. And this is what is happening with the disciples in this story. They are projecting their understandings and their created realities onto a world and onto people, and it changes the way that they interact and receive them. This man, they think, is a sinner, they say. And he alone is responsible solely for his suffering. He is responsible. Yet is this what the gospel of Jesus Christ compels to us? Is this what the life of Christ demands of us? Of course, the answer is no. Because in this very story, we see Jesus respond to this question. And he says, it is not him nor his parents that have sinned. That the entire 
story centered around a God who foreknew, a God who created this opportunity for his glory to be known through his work, that God, even before this man was born, had sort of made this time in place where his life and Christ would intersect and he would heal him, that Christ would be known and worshiped through his work. And this, friends, is an extraordinary thing to hear, if we can hear it, because it changes and shifts the paradigm of our lives. It reveals to us that all around us are happenings and circumstances where we think we know what's going on, but we have no idea what is going on. Have you ever took a meeting or been invited to an event or a happening that you thought you knew what you were getting into and then totally get there and realize this is not at all what I expected it to be. Nikki and I, some years ago, were traveling to Boston and we decided that we were gonna stop and see the Ni Niagara Falls. Uh, it's not something that I had seen before. I had heard about it, people talked about it, and so we just thought we'd check that off the list, go see this. I didn't have a lot of expectations when I went there. In fact, I was prepared to be underwhelmed. It's just falling water, right? Really, that's not that spectacular. But yet, when I got there, I don't know if you, I was taken back by the power and the splendor of God's creation. It took my breath away. I had an expectation that I knew what this was gonna be like, but I was completely mistaken. And in the same way, we often come to understandings where we think that we know what is happening in the world. Not even just know, but we think we know why it's happening. But just like these disciples, all we are doing is simply projecting our created realities and understandings onto the world in a way that serves us, and like them, it is often mistaken Friend, everyone in creation and everything in creation is moving towards one fixed moment in time. Every one of us is moving towards one defining moment in creation. And the scripture compels it this way that there will be a day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is that day, and that's not a terrifying thought. I'm not trying to be terrifying, but there is one moment that all of creation is moving towards. Now, I have had the pleasure in this job to be at many wedding functions, to do and perform many weddings. And it's quite enjoyable to watch couples get excited about their plans for their wedding day. They're excited about the day that they're going to be wed. And so the next couple of months, if not years, they tend to bend everything in their lives towards that one day that they will get married, that they will join in union in front of God. But unfortunately, the wedding day often becomes the thing in which we work for. And so we like to consider who's going to be there and what are we going to eat and who's going to be on stage with us. But far too often, the one thing that goes unnoticed, that goes overlooked, 
is not who's going to light the candles before the service, but the actual marriage itself. A wedding is one day. Marriage is for the rest of our lives. And if all we do is focus on an event and not what it means to be in relationship with one another as as bride and groom, or if we can even be in relationship with one another, we set ourselves up for great difficulties later. And so two things from that. There are beautiful people in here who have yet to commit and trust their life to the Lord, to live a life of sacrifice in and by the power of God, to know and live out their most fundamental purpose to simply be in a relationship with their creator. And I want you to know that there is a day in your future, much like a wedding day, when you will meet the Lord, when you will see his beauty and his splendor. And in that moment, you will realize that life was different than you thought it was. You thought you knew, but that moment reveals to you that you had no clue. Secondly, there are people of faith who are very well versed in the idea that there is going to be a day when we will meet our king. But all you have ever done is focus on that day, not what comes after it. Much like a wedding, you have focused on the event and not the relationship. You see faith as fire insurance, that God will meet you someday and ignore the fact that the entirety of your life revolves around you that he'll ignore it because you simply checked a box somewhere along the way that said, I believed in Jesus. And so to both of you, I say this, that all of our life on this earth actually revolves around us preparing ourselves to live in relationship with God forever. Life isn't even about us. It never has been. Our whole existence is the evidence of God's beauty and goodness and splendor and love. The whole of our existence is the evidence of a creator. And this life is about learning to love and enjoy God who made us in this day because it will be what consumes us with every day in eternity. You know, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, they, they early in their relationship, he, my, my father-in-law began to buy her uh, pieces of, of pottery that came from one specific manufacturer. Uh, and then when Nikki and I got married, he carried that trend onward with us. Now they think that we're going to take them later someday, but yeah, news for you, we don't. I'm not storing all of that in my house. But that's besides the point, okay? Besides the point. So this pottery comes from a company called the Rowe Pottery Works in Wisconsin. There are poles and pots and vases and the likes that are all over my in-law's house. They're, they're everywhere, okay? There is a diversity in all of those pieces, but in each one, they carry a unique coloring and design that despite its characteristics and shapes and markings, you know that's row. And in some ways, we in this world have been designed all with different 
shapes and sizes, different natures, amongst different nurturing environments, but none of it exists for our own selves. All of it was in fact designed to point us and the world back to our creator, not to our own individuality and uniqueness. All of it, the good and the bad, is the evidence of God's size and goodness and love and perfection. All of it is. Yet, because we live in a world of sin, everything is broken. Things are harder than they should be. It's painful and difficult. And because of that sin, we are broken pottery, broken vases and bowls, trying to make sense of our world through our own understandings, trying to exist in a, in a world as shards of broken clay instead of letting our creator skillfully and masterfully restore in us what is broken to reveal his glory to the world and to complete our joy. And so look, this is the thing that's behind the thing that you can't see sometimes. This is the thing that's hidden from us, that our lives don't account for. You're not whole. Your understandings are not whole. Your nature is not whole. Your nurturing environments, they're not whole. They're not. All of it needs to be redeemed. All of it needs to be restored. All of it finds its worth in declaring Christ as Lord. And none of it can be done by you. None of it can be done by you. Behind the scenes, with or without our knowledge, the creator of the universe is working to restore and redeem all of creation to fix what is broken and make it whole, that all of creation might see the works of God and give him glory and worship him. That is the reasoning behind this blind man. That is the reasoning behind his blindness. It is the cause of all of our troubles and successes and hardships and normalities in this life. God is working to redeem, restore, and reorder the world. And this is our big idea today that the God of the universe is present and working in all things to make himself known. The costly sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross is the propitiation, the atonement necessary for the sin of humanity choosing themselves over God. The blood of Christ is God's ransom for sin that brings us back into relationship with him back into right standing with the God of the universe. His grace is the gift that allows us as broken shards of pottery to move backwards towards God remaking us by and for his purposes in our design. To move back towards what it was like to be in the garden with God in perfection that also will be what is in front of us in our forever. And so as we approach the world, how do we see it and receive it? We were meant to see it with the eyes of redemption, of reconciliation, that the God of the universe is moving in all things to make himself known. Jesus said to his disciples in this day when he was healing the man that while he was on earth, he was going to do the work that revealed himself to the world, that as long as he was in the world, that the light of God would be there. Jesus left the world through his death 
but he came back in his resurrection, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. Our faith in Christ brings us into adoption as God's beloved sons and daughters. And through that relationship, he sends in us the Holy Spirit that lives in and around us, working to redeem us and working to bring redemption to the world. Jesus says this in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God is continuing his work in us and through us, which means that this life is far more than just you learning to please yourself, to bring security to yourself, to love yourself, that we have become God's partners by his decree in his work of redemption, first for ourselves and then to the world, which means that God is active and working in us and around us always. When you wake up out of bed in the morning, how do you approach the day? How do you stumble into this world? How do you receive it? Many of us wake up out of our beds simply with the desire to get back to the place that we began. Just gonna get through this day and survive. Some of us wake up in the mornings and we think about this day is an opportunity for me to do today that will benefit me tomorrow. And that is a good thought, but who's it revolve around? It revolves around ourselves. Or maybe we just think, I don't care what happens. I just want to be alive at the end of it. I just want to be safe. But listen, for those of us of faith, we are woken up to the reality that God is working and active in ourselves and in the world around us, and he has asked us to participate in it. And you may say, I'm not qualified for that. <laughs> I don't think I can do that. Guess what? The story of the Bible is full of people just like you and me. It's not even about you. It's about God using you. What if we woke up every day believing that God was doing something? Lord, I don't know what you're doing today, but I know that you're up to something. What if God was present and active in your real realities? What if you believed that he was trying to bring redemption to the world? What if you truly believed that he actually willed it, that he was gonna partner with you to bring that? What if our postures to the world were the same as Jesus in John 9, who despite the troubles in his life stopped to show compassion on another? What if we took our time to deal with the burdens of others in this world instead of the only burden on us being ourselves? What if we believed that Jesus' face is turned to us in the same way that it is turned to the blind man, that he is patient with us and kind and compassionate, that he is bringing all things back to himself because that is who you were designed to be. 
You are his vase. You are his bowl. And he has a purpose for you. You're not a shard of clay. And you don't have the understanding. You're not whole. What if you believe that God's face is turned towards you like this blind man? And what if you lived your life believing from that same posture that God is active and working in all the things around you and he has chosen you by his word to participate in it? What would our worlds look like? What would your world look like? What would your life look like if you got out of bed tomorrow and believed that God is up to something And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to do all I can to be a part of it. That I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to stop being a shard of pottery. I'm going to seek what glorifies him in the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you today and are honest enough to say that this life has a hold on us in a way that it makes us confess with our life and our living that we actually know what we're doing. Lord, we don't know what we're doing. Every day we wake up trying just to make it through another day, it seems. And we forget that the big story of the world is redemption that you are bringing all things back to yourself, that there will be a day in which you will be known by everyone. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And so, Lord, will you help us to know that that day is coming, that we might in this moment choose to live in relationship with you, that we would work out in this day our relationship with you by trusting and leaning and being purposeful in our relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for those of faith who just simply see faith as fire insurance. Yet all of their life revolves around them. That Lord, that you would reveal to them the utter utter joy and satisfaction that comes with living out our relationship with you here in this moment. Because it will be all the moments of our forever. And God, we just love you. And we pray that you would just work in our lives. And we thank you for your blood, and it's through your sacrifice of Christ Jesus our Lord that we pray these things.